So, you know, as you know, we have been taking a journey through the book of Mark, and we've been in Mark for about a year, a little over a year now. And we took a break for, um, for Advent, and then we took a break as we came out of uh, the membership orientation to talk about the core values of our church for about six weeks. And, and so I want to pick back up in Mark today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And because it has been a long time, I want to kind of set some context that will act as a backdrop for where we're going to land in our passage of Scripture today. Mark chapter 11. And I've titled this sermon today, Forgiveness, Faith, and Fruitfulness. Forgiveness, Faith, and Fruitfulness. By way of context and summary, I started the, the 11th chapter, where it's a week prior to uh, the Passover, and we're looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He had been hanging out uh, in Bethany, and now he was heading over into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And around this time of the year, and, and it's, it's somewhere in probably mid-April, in the month of Nisan, around this time of year, the community around Jerusalem swells from about 600,000 to about a million people. Some estimates say a million and a half people. So Jesus sends his disciples on into the city. They get a colt that has never been ridden on, and Jesus rides that colt into the city, and everybody's in an uproar. Messiah has come. They're singing Hosanna. Um, and it takes Jesus working his way through the crowd all the way from morning to evening just to make it to the middle of the city. Wow. Wow. By the time he gets to the middle of the city and lands into Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, he walks into the temple in the evening and it's late. And he walks in and he looks around and he does not like what he sees. But it's too late for him to do anything about it. So he turns around, takes his disciples with him, and they go and they, they nestle the lodge down in Bethany. That's where he would normally stay when he was in the vicinity of, of Jerusalem. So they're in Bethany. And as is the custom of Jesus, I can just imagine that early the next morning, which would be Monday morning, Jesus gets up and he goes out, as Luke tells us in Luke 5 and 16, to a desolate place, to a place where he can be alone, to a solitary place where there's nobody but him and God, and he begins to pray. Man, I got to ask you, how many of you understand the power of prayer? How many of you practice consistently getting alone with God to pray, to hear from him? That's super, super important. So Jesus finds himself early in the morning going to get away for prayer. And, you know, it, that time in the morning, and, and I would imagine that because it was so busy the night before, he probably didn't get anything to eat. He woke up the next morning and, and you know, the 24-hour McDonald's drive through was closed. We so couldn't go through there. And, and so, and, and so he's, he ventures out, and he's, and he's making his way. Why are you guys laughing? Well, it might not have been a 24-hour drive through McDonald's, but, but he was hungry, right? He hadn't had anything to eat. Mary and Martha hadn't been up cooking. It was way too early. So on the following day, which is Monday, Jesus is making his way from Bethany down to Jerusalem. The scripture says he is hungry. He is hungry. So now let's pick it up 
at verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. <laughs> and on the following day, when they came to Bethany, he was hungry. From Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree, he went to see if he could find anything on it. He went to see if he could find anything on it. Anything on it. Everybody say anything. Anything. Jesus was looking for anything that he could find. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Everybody say nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. And here's why. Because it was not the season for figs. But yet then, yet and still, Jesus said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. I want you to put a peg right there. Put, just hang that on a peg. His disciples heard it. Hmm. Now I want to reemphasize again. This is, this is the time of Passover. So it's about the middle of the month of April. And the fig trees around Palestine, they produced these small edible buds in March. And these buds would be followed by these, these real thick leaves that would, that would cover the tree. And they would arrive in early April. And these buds that would be on the tree prior to the leaves, they were edible. And in most cases, those buds would be used for people who were less fortunate and couldn't afford to wait for the figs. They'd come along and they would eat them. Or if you were really, really hungry and you had to have some sustenance, those buds would, those little buds would sustain you. Jesus went looking for something to eat, figuring that at least there would be those little buds on the tree. How many of you know if he's looking for those buds, the brother must have been hungry? But he found nothing. Now, eventually what happens is these buds would drop off and they give way to this big crop of, of figs that would ripen late May or early June when it was really fig season. But remember, again, this is shortly after Passover. So Jesus really walked up to that tree expecting to find something edible, and he found nothing, not even buds, because it wasn't the season for figs. Something else that my research tells me is that the absence of these buds, despite the presence of leaves, depicted the truth that the tree would not produce fruit for the rest of the year. So if those buds weren't present, it meant the tree was going to be unfruitful for the entire year. And so this sounds a whole lot to me like the state of the nation of Israel, the state that it was in at the time of the arrival of Jesus. Many people, many theologians believe that Jesus' denunciation of the tree, a denunciation that, that Peter would later, later refer to as a curse, was a prophetic sign of God's impending judgment on Israel. The picture here is this. Don't miss this. That this promising yet unproductive fig tree symbolized Israel's barrenness. Despite God's undeniable favor and despite all of their impressive outward appearance of religiosity and religion, they were barren. That's what the theologians say. But here's what I think. I think that while this might be true, I think this message of the cursing of the, tree, of the fig tree has an even deeper application for us personally. 
I think it provides a deeper understanding for us of the connection between forgiveness, faith, and fruitfulness. So it's with that in mind and with that as a backdrop, let's explore our text today. If you'll drop down to Luke or, or Mark chapter 11, verse 20, we'll pick it up from there. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Remember, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. Now, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away at his roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, master, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Behold, excuse me, behold, behold. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Might have been because my brother and I were talking about Charleston Heston the other night. Here's what it says. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. And truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against one another, so that your heavenly Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. I want to spend the remainder of our time today talking to you about the devastating effects of harboring unforgiveness in your life. That, that word harbor means a place of refuge. I want to talk to you today about the devastating effect of allowing unforgiveness to find a place of refuge in your heart. Wow. Three points. Here's the first. Harboring unforgiveness will short out your prayer life. Did you know that prayer is our most powerful connection to our Father? Okay, let me ask, let, let me go to this side of the room since that side is asleep. <laughs> Did you guys on this side know that prayer is the most powerful connection that we have to our Father? Yes. Woo! We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got, we got spirit. How about you? Okay. Did you guys know that prayer is the most powerful connection that we have to our Father? Yes. Okay. Now, I like that. So now let's do it in chorus and symphony. <laughs> Did you guys know that prayer is the most powerful? Think about what I'm saying now. Prayer is the most powerful connection that we have to our Father. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says after, after it lists the armor of God. It puts prayer in there. It says, prayer is a weapon of our warfare. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Prayer is short-circuited or, or is shorted out by unforgiveness in our heart. Let me give you a little example of that. So I have these, I have these modern lights that hang over my sink. And, um, and it's really cool because these lights, um, they, they are... They, they have this converter on the inside that takes the voltage from 120 down to 12 amps. Now, I'm not a, 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 an electrician or anything. Any electricians in the house? Great, because I don't have to worry about making a mistake. <laughs> but so it takes, it, takes, it takes 
12, it takes 120 vote and it, 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 um, it condenses it down to 12 volts so that you can put a 12 volt light bulb in there. And so I got three of them and they're bright, man. I mean, they're really, really bright. So I have them on a dimmer because, you know, I get up in the morning, brother can hardly see when his eyes haven't been quite open. So I cut them down real low, right? So, so about four months ago, one of those lights started burning out, just kind of flickering, right? So I, I pulled the globe off and I played with it a little bit and, and it started working again. Connected, right? So I was like, okay, that's cool. That, that, I did a little jerry-rigging thing and it worked. But then about a week ago, I turned my lights on and two of them were out. And I tried to do the same thing with the other one and it wouldn't work. There was a, a lost connection to the power source. You know, our life, unforgiveness in our life is a lot like that. You see, I ended up having to take down all of those lights to take them into to the, to the guy that knows how to fix them, the repair shop. Because if I kept playing around with them, it was just going to get worse. Unforgiveness in our heart is a lot like that when it comes to prayer. See, we can tinker around with unforgiveness. And it shows up in just a little, just maybe just a little manifestation that our light starts to flicker a little bit. Come on, somebody. But you play with it and you toy with it a little bit more because you don't want to take the light down. You know, you don't want to get to the root of the problem. You play with it a little more and the next thing you know, another light goes out. And then another light goes out. And the scripture says we're supposed to let our light so shine before men that others may see our good works and do what? Glorify the Father which is in heaven. If we allow unforgiveness to cause us to lose our connection, to short our connection, how will we let our light shine? But here's the point. You cannot play with unforgiveness, man. You got to take that thing down and lay that down at the foot of the Father and say, help me to get this thing out of my heart. Or it will hinder your prayer life. Mine too. So ask yourself, as I've been asking myself all week, how many of you know I've said this a whole lot, that every time I preach, it comes to me first. Right? So I've been living this. Here's the question. If your prayers are being hindered, ask yourself, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? If your prayers lack power, Ask yourself, is there un any unforgiveness? Is there any unforgiveness in your heart? As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you right now, do something bold for me. Shut your eyes right now, if you would. And ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me about this? Open your eyes. Look at me. Now, what are you going to do about it? Unforgiveness is a serious thing, you guys. Hmm. So harboring unforgiveness in our lives will short out our prayer life. Prayer is our most vital connection to the Father. That's the first thing. Harboring unforgiveness will sabotage your faith. That's the second point. 
That word sabotage is powerful, man. Sabotage is a deliberate and subversive action taken to intentionally damage or destroy something or someone. The enemy wants to sabotage our faith through unforgiveness. Wow. Wow. You guys getting this? You hear me? Verse 22, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass will be done for him. And therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, have faith, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. <laughs> Listen, you, he just said, he just said we would have faith to move mountains, right? Right? Watch this now. The enemy wants to sabotage your faith through unforgiveness because he knows that if he can get unforgiveness in your heart, it will take mountain-moving faith to get it out. <laughs> okay, so some of you have been heard this story before, and if you have, just, just you know, indulge me. So many, several years ago, my wife and I had sold our house. We'd moved over to this side so that we could pastor on this side of town. And the person that bought our house bought up these bogus trumped-up charges against us and was taking us to court. And this wasn't just like this, the average court case. This was a, a full-blown civil suit. Five days, full jury, expert witnesses. Yeah, and, and there were nine counts of willful non-disclosure, all these allegations, these trumped-up allegations. And the first thing out of their mouth with this full-blown jury and my wife and I sitting, the first thing that we saw on the big screen in front of everybody is the McCormicks are liars. I felt some kind of way about that. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. And as that thing, man, because I, I, man, I, listen, man, I, man, I, integrity is a big thing to me, you know. And so I'm down in my prayer time, man, and I'm struggling in my prayer time. You hear what I'm saying? Because these people are, I'm, and I'm crying out to God, but I'm not getting any answers, man. I'm like, God, I'm mad. I'm mad at you. Why would you allow this to happen to me? You ought to do nothing to these people. You know, man, I'm, I'm serious. Okay, I'm the only one that's gone before God and just don't understand something, just start bawling, right? Huh? Am I the only one? Huh? Man, yeah, I was, she just reminded me. One of my friends, one of my, one of my good friends, no kidding, said, man, just say the word. I'll go by and spray him. I said, man, you can't. Hmm. No, man, you can't do that. <laughs> no, man, you can't do that, man. But I'm crying out, but I'm like, man, God, this is just crazy. I can't, I can't take it no more. You said you wouldn't put no more on me. You can bear it. It was like God was like, hey, stop it. Stop it. Pray for them. I said, I will not do it. I won't, God. I didn't do this. They did it to me. No, pray for them. Amen. And so I took God at his word, man, and I began, to, I began to pray for them, man. 
and, 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 then, and then all of a sudden I realized as I began to pray for them that I was harboring unforgiveness. And this case was taking a turn for the worse. And this unforgiveness was sabotaging my faith. And so I was like, okay, God, I'm laying this at your feet. I'm going to trust you. And the moment I did that, my faith began to build again. Because I trust the just God that said, listen, when you go to court, I'll be in there with you. I'll be a lawyer for you in the courtroom. <laughs> okay, nobody's getting happy but me, right? You ever been there? Unforgiveness will sabotage your faith. It'll cause your faith to wane. So I want you to ask yourself, if your faith has been waning lately, if your faith has been on life support, if it feels like now as you look back your faith has been sabotaged, ask yourself, is there any unforgiveness in my heart against something or someone? Am I harboring unforgiveness? I want to do the same thing that I did just a minute ago. I want to stop for a second, have you close your eyes, and I want you to ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me about this? What do you want me to do about it? Hmm. Here's my third and final point. Harboring unforgiveness will shrivel up your spiritual roots. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, whenever an individual or a group, I'm a little hot up here, Tammy, if you turn me down just a bit. Whenever an individual or group dries up spiritually, it is usually from the roots. Say this with me. No root, no fruit. See, I don't think Jesus cursed the fig tree and his disciples hearing because he knew that they needed to see another miracle. I don't believe that. They had seen enough miracles for Jesus to, to believe in his miracle work and power. I think Jesus wanted to drive the point to his disciples that harboring unforgiveness against anyone will wither you to the core of your spiritual root system and completely dry you up until all of the fruit of the Spirit in your life is shriveled up and totally destroyed. Am I painting a picture of the devastation of unforgiveness? It's for someone today. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians. Galatians. I revert it back. It's Galatians. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Huh. Listen, listen, listen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then the writer of Hebrews says this. 
He says, see to it that, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. I'm here to tell you today, family, listen, the seed of unforgiveness will lead to the root of bitterness. And we don't always recognize it. Because sometimes, sometimes it, it, it starts off small, like that little bitty light I was telling you about that started off really small. It's something that looks like you can fix. Sometimes you can't even recognize just how divisive it is and invasive it is. The effects are deadly. See, bitterness can start off as something small. You don't even notice it. Unresolved forgiveness can result in bitterness that destroys your life and the life of those around you. I find it interesting here that bitterness is described as a root. Bitterness is described as a root. You know, roots grow underground and they go undetected. You don't normally see a root happening until something springs up. You just can't see them. A root of bitterness grows quietly under the surface, and in time it sprouts up. But by the time it sprouts up, the damage to your heart underground, to your, to your spiritual root system, often is already done or already in the works. Amen? Amen. Let me turn the corner here a little bit. Anybody in here ever been hurt by somebody? Anybody ever been in love? What's that song say? Love hurts. Love scars. You guys, you guys ever heard that song? <laughs> okay, so anybody in here ever been hurt before? Man, sometimes, sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes it's on purpose. You get hurt. Listen, I heard this saying a while back, and it is so true. Hurt people hurt people. Yes? But listen, even though we may have been hurt by someone or several people, forgiving that person or those people for us as followers of Jesus Christ is not an option. It's just not. Peter, I think he was sarcastic, came to Jesus one day and said, you know, how many times do I need to forgive my brother, Jesus? I think Peter was trying to get away with something. And Jesus said, 70 times 77? Didn't he say that? 149 times for the same offense in one day? Doubt if that happens, Peter. So what that means is your unforgiveness as a follower of Christ needs to be immediate and limitless. Okay, this just popped up in my spirit, so I'm going to say this, all right, because I want to draw this clear distinction. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you need to trust them. Let's just be clear on that. See, I can, Tommy, well, I won't use you, well, I'll use you, because I know you ain't going to get mad and leave the church. Man, I, Tommy, if you do something against me, and you come to me and repent, you know, Say you stole something from me. 
Which I know you don't steal, so I'm just use that. So say you stole something from me, and you come to me and repent, you know, and you was in my house when you stole it, because I let you go upstairs by yourself, and nobody was watching you, and you stole something, right? And you came back and you told me you stole something. I mean, I forgive you, bro, but I ain't letting you upstairs in my house by yourself no more. <laughs> you got to prove yourself to me. You see what I'm saying? But unforgiveness is not acceptable. Forgive immediately. Let trust be earned. Amen? Amen. I'm going to get off of that because I'm almost done. Mitch, you'll come to the, whatever you're going to come to, piano or guitar. Where's Mitch? <laughs> Mitch is gone, boy. <laughs> Look, I forgive him, man. <laughs> oh, man. Even if a person hurts you and they don't realize. <laughs> we, we was talking good about you just a minute ago, man. Listen, even if a person hurts you and they don't realize that he and she did, or he or she did it, or, and, and, or even if they do, they deny it, we still have to forgive them. We still have to forgive them, man. We need to be very purposeful in forgiving before the seed that becomes a root of bitterness gets planted in our lives and in our hearts. Here's what I've learned. Unforgiveness and harboring unforgiveness doesn't, doesn't hurt the other person. They're probably going on with their, with their life. Unforgiveness hurts me. Hurts me. Here's what Jesus says. Man, this, listen to this. This is so clear. This is so clear. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Puts a brand new light on things, doesn't it? I can't even imagine how many times my heavenly Father has forgiven me of my trespasses. I can't even imagine it. So for me, unforgiveness is a dangerous place to be, living in unforgiveness. Is forgiving always easy? No, it's not. Does it mean that we're justifying the other person's action because we choose to forgive them? No, it doesn't. We need to forgive because we're commanded to do it. And guess what? When we choose to forgive, we are setting free, we are setting ourselves free from the very thing that will sabotage our faith, disconnect our prayer life, Hold us hostage in the, in the present and, not, and be paralyzed in the present and not be able to move on to the things that God wants to give us is we'll just let go of those things. Forgiveness is the key to a vibrant life of faith and abundant spiritual fruit. So don't let unforgiveness take refuge, harbor itself in your life. So I want to close with this today. How do I know, Pastor, if I have a root of unforgiveness or bitterness in my life? How do I know that? Just give you just a few things to contemplate. If you're continually thinking destructive thoughts about someone, you're probably harboring unforgiveness. If you're happy at the misfortune of a particular person, 
you're probably harboring unforgiveness. If you wish harm on someone, you're probably harboring unforgiveness. <laughs> if you're always thinking up scenarios in your head about what you wish you could do with that person and get away with it, you're probably, some of y'all are smiling. You're probably harboring unforgiveness. Listen, I've had this happen. If you feel sick to your stomach when you get around a person, you probably are harboring some form of bitterness and unforgiveness. If you find yourself trying in conversation to, to, to persuade someone to turn against someone else, you're probably harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in your life. Everybody stand with me. I don't want to presume anything. So I'm going to deal with two things as we close today. Here's the first. As I've done the previous two times, I, I want you to shut your eyes. Nobody walking, nobody talking, please. This is a, a sacred moment. I want to see God do some things in the lives of people. Because listen, I know if I can harbor unforgiveness, in my heart, you can harbor unforgiveness in yours, and you may be right now. What is God saying to you about what you heard today? And then what are you going to do about it? We can't just be hearers of the word and not doers. So pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray something similar. You might already be praying about it. Father, I'm asking you right now to turn the searchlight of the Holy Spirit onto my heart. And even in the recesses of my heart where I've hidden some things away and, and the root of that unforgiveness has manifested itself in something else that I didn't even realize until today, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to show me how to surrender that to you. And I will do it. And if you've prayed that prayer, now ask Him this, Lord, please create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Let me live a life of unforgiveness. Of forgiveness. Not unforgiveness, but of forgiveness. Please, Lord, don't let us live a life of unforgiveness. In Jesus' name. Have me speaking in tongues up here. Father, let me live a life of forgiveness. Because that's your will for me. 